In the rush to translate a lot of live events into virtual spaces, there's been something of, uh, I don't want to say settling, but it's, it seems almost like, okay, well, we're settling for this digital experience and I guess we can do this this way. And the thought was we don't need to necessarily settle. We can embrace the strength and the benefits that exist only in a digital environment. The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one goal in mind, to help B2B practitioners across marketing and sales be better at their jobs. Now we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hey, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of the B2B MX Podcast. I think stressful may be a better word for this. We're actually recording this in the home stretch of our B2B sales and marketing exchange virtual experience. And we're all heads down in the planning process. We wanted to do a special teaser to the event and everything that we have planned. So we thought no better person to bring into the fold than Sherry Butts, one of our colleagues, friends, comrades, and really one of the key drivers of this online experience. So Sherry, thanks for taking the time out. Thanks so much for having me, Alicia. So with that, I know I kind of gave a loaded introduction to you, but why don't you share a little bit about the basics of your role, what you do for not just Demand Gen Report, but all of its sister brands, because you're you're technically director of demand generation and growth marketing. So what does that really entail in your world? Sure. Yeah. So first of all, I feel like I've kind of been given a brief recess in between virtual events here to join this. We've been, as you said, just heads down. And uh, my role in a nutshell, I like to say that I market marketing to marketers. And what that actually means is that I think like most of us these days wearing many, many hats, but I primarily manage the marketing efforts for our internal sales team. So I help to design and market a pretty wide range of different lead generation offerings for our partners across our publications. So that includes Demand Gen Report, ABM in Action, Channel Marketer Report, and Retail Touchpoints. And a big piece of that puzzle is something that I'm also responsible for fulfillment of along with the rest of our marketing team, which is our virtual events and online experiences. And once upon a time, our live event sponsorships as well. So that's been paused for now. Yeah, seriously, Sherry. I mean, you are like the person that helps with all of our webinars and events, like you said, both virtual and physical. You are the one that kind of brings them all to life and we're just living in your world kind of. So what has been your greatest challenge over the past six months? Let's not, yeah. let's not talk about <laughs> this week yet. We could get to this oh, week later. Well, yeah, for sure. Well, first of all, I think it's all of our world, right? We're all really, really in it because I know it just takes... It takes a village, as they say, right, or a full team. And it's really been a a team effort, everybody kind of chipping in and doing their part. And for me to choose what has been my greatest challenge over the past six months, it would really be hard to narrow it down to just one thing. I think 2020 has been a doozy, right? It's been um, kind of a crazy year. So I think the radical shift that we all experienced back in March was definitely really jarring. We were in Scottsdale, Arizona for the B2B Marketing Exchange in the last week of February. And less than two weeks later, the world had essentially shut down. And this was the first time we had our entire team. So everyone from the marketing team to the edit team to production operations, everyone working remotely and trying to carry on the process. We were 
here in the New York tri-state area, where on top of all of the regular work and our jam-packed schedule, we were finding out that people were getting sick or in some cases losing their life. And, and people were trying to navigate the challenges of now working from home all the time and childcare and homeschooling and all of these things were going on. And our schedule at the beginning of 2020 was definitely already jam-packed with additional live events that we had brought on and additional virtual experiences that we were planning on producing. So we really didn't have too much flexibility in our schedule. But when this all happened, we realized that the live events were very likely not going to happen. And we were initially trying to push them off until later in the year, just like I think a lot of folks were. And as it became clear that those were not going to happen and they were also going to be virtual events, we ended up with a really, really jam-packed schedule of online experiences, some of them ending up being very close to one another. So it was just, it's, it's been a lot of juggling and a lot of trying to navigate how we can get all this done. In some cases, we even added on additional events because there was a need to speak to our audience. So I would say that like most of us, my biggest challenge has really just been trying to navigate getting all of it done, right? <laughs> I think we're really feeling that right now, trying to get it all done in an unfamiliar environment, even though now it's somewhat familiar. It's been six months, so. Yeah, and I know you kind of brought up a point that I personally have been really struggling with. So that need to not just copy and paste the experience, right? But figure out what are the new needs? What are the new expectations of our audience? And, and what are they really facing, right? Like one of our sister brands, Retail Touchpoints is, I mean, that industry has been hit probably harder than many others, especially in the heart of COVID. So we not only had to keep pace with everything that we were designing from a content perspective, the planned editorial calendar, the special reports, everything that was expected of us from even like a virtual event experience standpoint, or I guess webinar series technically, but there was a need for a completely new dialogue around what do we as an industry do about all of this? And I know in B2B as well, depending on the industry that you're in, whether it's financial services, hospitality, the collaboration space especially experienced a boom as a result of everything that was happening. So all of these different industries, right, have these pockets of disruption and uncertainty and new needs. So it's, okay, well, how do we address those from a content and experience perspective and do so in a way that allows us to stand out. Because I don't know about you, but I felt like really overwhelmed by the surge in online events that were taking place and seeing, okay, who, well, who's doing what, what makes their experience special? What can we replicate or what can we customize to our brand? And I could imagine from your standpoint too, because you're helping essentially to not just design, but market these experiences to our partners and our sponsors. I mean, being able to keep tabs on all of that and design something that allows us to differentiate. I mean, that kept me up a lot at night, not to sound stereotypical, but I mean, it's just like dealing with the audience implications, but also the sponsorship implications, right? Because we wanted to design something that's mutually beneficial. Yeah, for sure. And you just brought up some excellent points. I think talking about the challenge being understanding the position that our internal team was in and the challenges that they were facing, that also sort of lent itself to establishing this overall empathy. You know, we were looking at our team, we were experiencing this together and 
we also were looking at our audience and our partners and our sponsors and seeing what challenges they were going through and recognizing on a very human level. I mean, I know we talk a lot in B2B about H to H, right? It's human to human. And we talk a lot about empathy and understanding what people are going through. But I don't think that we've ever been given an opportunity to really live it as much as we have in the past six months. And you had mentioned the our Retail Touchpoints brand, and that was a perfect example of really understanding. And it, again, it was an all-hands effort to really think about and understand what are retailers going through right now. And for us, we had a webinar series. The webinar series was planned, excuse me, to take place in April. And that was at the height of all of this. And, you know, in some cases, the content was already planned out and we really had to stop and say, let us think about this. Is it still resonant with that audience considering everything that they're experiencing right now? And in some cases, it meant opening up discussions again with our partners, with our sponsors and talking about, do we need to kind of pivot in a different direction? And we did, you know, because when we planned the series, it was a different world than when it was going to be executed. So it really gave us an opportunity to practice that empathy, to connect with sponsors, to connect with the audience in a much more meaningful way. Yeah. And I know that was a tough conversation for us to have a few conversations because we were so in the thick of it. I mean, sponsorship materials already uploaded, abstracts already finalized. I'm sure decks were in the works, you know, on the speaker side, which it's like that tug of war, right? Like, do we do what is right for our audience and really push for this to be as accurate and timely as possible? Or do we risk possibly opening up a seemingly negative dialogue with our partners around, oh, you need to do this over. But I think in the long run, those tough conversations were valuable because it showed to our sponsors and our partners that, oh, these people really care about the output of this product, not just for us, you know, to ensure that we're putting something together that's relevant, but also for the audience, right? Because at the end of the day, we'll get into audience preferences in a little bit, I think, just based on some research we've done. But I think at the end of the day, like people know what webinars are all about, right? Like they're not they're not stupid, especially in B2B, right? Marketing to marketers is probably the hardest thing that I've ever done in my entire life. So they know what's happening. So to have them raise their hands, you know, take time out of their days to be on this webinar and only to give them the same old, same old content or content that's not even relevant to where their business is at. Like it just did not feel like the right thing to do. And it also lent itself to a completely new experience that was extremely valuable, I think, for our community and also for us, you know, as far as positioning ourselves as key providers, key partners in this space. So I just wanted to chime in there and say good on you for enforcing and and enabling those tough conversations because I know we both had our moments of like, uh, should we even bring this up? Yes. Um, <laughs> and thank you to you as well. Cause like, you were a big part of those conversations and yeah, it's exactly what you said. I mean, there was some apprehension about whether or not we should go back to our partners and reevaluate the content and the direction. But I think as you mentioned in the end, it ultimately ended up being really beneficial for them as well they were able to speak in a way that was much more well-received by our audience. And that, in fact, I think even was the launch point for another online experience, our Retail Reset Hub, because there was so much interest from the audience in 
trying to navigate this new terrain and find ways to kind of reset and look at how they could move forward in the future, which was ultimately what we pivoted the messaging of that series to be around. So it really was an interesting learning experience for us as well. And now a word from our sponsor. Hey everyone, John Miller here, Chief Product Officer at Demandbase. And I can't tell you how excited I am about the new ABM platform we're building. It combines the best of Engageo and Demandbase to help you find accounts that are in market for your products, engage with buyers across multiple channels, and close deals by working with sales. To get an exclusive sneak peek of the platform, visit demandbase.com slash sneak peek. Given the fact that we are lucky enough to have these esteemed online publications where our editors are having these conversations for stories and things like that, it was almost, I feel like, I don't want to say it was easier because we kind of already were having some of these conversations on the editorial side, but it kind of helped us out a little bit in terms of planning different content and the topics and learning about what is actually going on for our audiences. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think having that ear to the ground, so to speak, and already having those conversations, like we have a constant stream of intelligence that I think is extremely valuable for both sides, right? Because I mean, looking at this for demand gen reports specifically, we were doing our editorial coverage around like the new context. I mean, everyone was talking about the new normal, like, (laughs) but we had to put a spin on it that was relevant and timely. Yeah. But then also keeping pace with everything others in the community were doing to kind of rally their troops and rally their clients and prospects together to keep progress moving, which is why we saw that significant uptick and pivot to virtual events and virtual experiences. And Claudia, I know you had a lot of conversations with folks, you attended a lot of them. So you kind of had that extra layer of insight because you saw what other people were doing and what worked and what didn't. And I think that was super valuable for us in the long term. Yeah, I have to say it definitely helped in even recruiting speakers and figuring out the topics and things like that, because the minute everything kind of shut down in March, like I'll tell you right now, any conversation I had, whatever feature I had planned, there was some sort of quote unquote new normal spin on it. And you couldn't get away from it at all. Like, you know, I interview people for it and, and it always came back to, all right, this is the new normal. This is what we had to do. So it was easy in that sense, but nothing is ever 100% easy. We, I just feel a little lucky on that point where we kind of had that initial intel there. So at the end of the day, it's always still just important to just know your audience and know their pain points, no matter if you have a whole editorial side of your business at all or not. Yeah. And I guess it applies to you, Sherry, because you're in the weeds from a demand gen and sales enablement perspective. Like you're helping to craft from a sponsorship standpoint what can we provide to our community that's, again, mutually beneficial? So, I mean, what were you hearing from folks? And I mean, what are you still hearing, I guess? Because again, with that influx of virtual events, virtual experiences, everyone had their own kind of set of learnings and an idea of what is good, what is bad. How did this impact you guys? I mean, you guys, meaning the broader marketing team and sales team even, around figuring out what components, what value props to really bring front and center 
because I could imagine that like looking at the post-its on the wall, so to speak, is like, how do we even piece something together that is different and valuable and still hits on all of these wants and needs from a sponsorship standpoint? Yeah, for sure. And I think one of the things for us is we were sort of lucky in the fact that we had already been producing online experiences as part of our regular agenda for more than five years now. So we had a pretty solid process in that regard. And we had a pretty solid demand from our partners and sponsors and a a solid attendance and registration from our audience. And I think that from a logistics perspective, you know, having those guidelines and processes in place was really critical for us to be able to move forward at the pace that we did. But as you mentioned, kind of making sure that we're staying in tune with what our audience wants, what our sponsors want. There was also a concern that maybe what we were doing wasn't new enough or fresh enough because now we had so many virtual events coming from all angles. And so we didn't want our existing events to get lumped in as just another virtual event. And and how would we differentiate ourselves and did we need to? But one of the things that you had touched upon, Claudia and Alicia, you both talked about the fact that our editorial teams for our publications are so tuned in to what's going on. And we had talked earlier about this opportunity to exercise empathy in a really practical way. And I think that came through in some of the conversations that we had to try to uncover what are people actually looking for in a virtual event? What do people actually need? And so one of the things that we did on our end was organize quite a few intimate roundtables. So they were virtual roundtables where we really got to connect with our audience in a much more meaningful way with our audience, with our partners, with our sponsors, and have very candid conversations. And what was most unique about doing this, we had done these in the past, but considering the circumstances that everyone was under, we found people really disarmed, you know, and just very open and very candid about the challenges that they were experiencing, very willing to want to help each other, which is not something that you always see. There's a competitive edge, but everyone was really just trying to work together to be very honest about what their challenges were, what they needed. And as a publication, we were very in tune with, you know, every time someone brought up a challenge or a concern, we already had ideas in mind of how they could solve that challenge, especially being so connected to the marketing technology community. It put us in a unique position to really be able to in a very holistic way, say, these are the challenges that these people are experiencing right now. These are the solutions that we think we can help them. And then taking that a step further and saying, as we put together offerings for partners and sponsors, what is a practical way that we can help to connect you with these people who really are in need of your service and solution. And so it was a very sort of all-encompassing holistic perspective, which as marketers, that's always what we want to do, right? That's really always the aim, but we don't always, as much as we'd like to, have the time or the sort of break from our day-to-day to do some of this qualitative research and have these discussions and come out of it with very practical next steps because of the urgency with which people were experiencing their needs. They were finding 
issues like my business relies primarily on walkthroughs of my facility. And now I can't have those walkthroughs and I need a solution now. Right. And so there was an immediate need to connect technology providers with our audience. And so it really gave us an opportunity to do that in a much more thoughtful, immediate, practical, and and holistic way. Yeah, definitely. And I know we kind of, on the demand gen report side, and even on the retail touchpoint side as well, we are very familiar with our benchmark research and our surveys. So we do a lot of them throughout the year. And obviously that hasn't changed. And we ended up kind of developing this virtual events survey. I think it came up like super quick because all of a sudden it's like, hey guys, we're doing this research. We're sending it out to our audiences to really get insights into what they're looking for in a virtual event, right? So do we want to talk about some of like those insights from a reader and attendee perspective of what they're looking for in a virtual event and how they helped us develop everything? Yeah, sure. I think just like you said, it it did come up very quickly because it was initiated realizing that some of our traditional live events were definitely not going to be live this year in 2020. So we needed to pivot to an online experience. And we wanted to make sure that we really understood what people wanted from that. And one of the main points that I felt was important to realize was that you cannot just take a live event and then try to translate it into a digital environment, right? That sort of copy paste definitely doesn't work. And so we had all of us, right? We all had ideas about what a good virtual experience looked like, but we wanted to make sure that our ideas were in line with what folks actually wanted. And so when we talk about some of the ways or some of the concerns we had about differentiating our events, at this point in the game, everyone is coming out with different online experiences and virtual events. And there's this sort of race to have the most unique or the coolest thing going on. And so we really needed to kind of just level set and gather our thoughts and think about what is really important in our virtual events, right? Is it that we have to have Beyonce doing (laughs) a halftime (laughs) show or whatever it is, you know? So we really had to think through those things and then just try to understand what is really bringing value. So the questions for the survey were designed around that. And some of the things we found were interesting in the sense that a lot of those kind of extracurricular things like the happy hours and the fun stuff, I mean, it's great to have, but our audience wasn't particularly all that interested in that. They were much more interested in more casual conversations and networking opportunities that revolved around a topic or an industry. So they wanted to have some sort of facilitation in the networking And it wasn't necessarily about the coolest or the hippest new thing. It was really more about the value of the conversations, which made sense. I mean, people were spending so much time online at this point and still, still obviously. So they really wanted to make sure that the time that they were spent was based on valuable conversations. We also found as trite as it might sound, content is still king. So the majority of our audience really wanted uh, or stated that one of the top three benefits that they'd like to gain by attending a virtual event is that they are interested in hearing keynotes from influencers and top thought leaders. So that thought leadership content is still a huge part of the mix. And 
Alicia and Claudia, I know you both have a major hand in that and have worked to put together a really stellar agenda for our upcoming B2B sales and marketing exchange, but also our, our previous events as well. So anything that you'd like to share on the content perspective? Yeah, I mean, I really do think from an agenda perspective, it's a tricky balance, right? Because I know that we grapple with the, do we get the name, the person or figure that people recognize and that we know will get butts in the seats, so to speak, or do we focus on bringing new voices and new perspectives into the mix? And I feel like this year especially, that was crucial. I mean, it's always top of mind for us, but I know like we've had weekly, if not more than weekly conversations around what are the new stories that we can bring into the mix. So I think even our larger keynotes, we have been trying to emphasize getting well-known figures, but those who are still in the weeds enough, still doing the work, still hands-on with marketing, creative, storytelling, sales in some way that they can offer more enlightenment, more guidance to our audience. And I mean, Claudia, I'll leave it to you to kind of speak to like our theme this year and how that kind of trickles down into all the different tracks and all the different sessions. But I think really our key goal was to ensure that even the keynotes were able to bring that practical voice, almost a voice of calm and sensible guidance during these times especially, but I mean, kind of tying in that fuel of, or that theme of creative fuel for new revenue realities. I think it was just like that right balance of like touching on the context of now without being super gloom and doom about everything that's happening. Yeah, for sure. And obviously like, yeah, the big names are great, but like you said, Alicia, we wanted people that are experiencing the same problems and pain points as our audience as well. And and I think it's nice that now everyone could see like, oh my God, this big name keynote speaker is having the same problems as me. Wow, like I feel better. And it just shows that, you know, we could all like get through this together. So yeah, our theme, creative fuel for new revenue realities. I mean, new revenue realities, new normal, new reality. Like it's all entrenched in our day-to-day now. So we can't really hide from it, right? So we just definitely wanted speakers who could share their stories in an authentic, way and just be real, you know, because at the end of the day, right now, everybody's just got to be real. Like my cat's crawling all over me during a call, (laughs) things like that. So everybody understands it. And it kind of brings this community together in a more, I don't know, like in a family way. It's like Thanksgiving dinner, but virtually. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I I think that that community point is really important. And I think, you know, we're lucky enough as a publication or or several publications where we've been building that community organically. But I mean, going back to the research, we found that people are really hungry for that ongoing engagement, right? That ongoing connection beyond the keynotes and the track sessions or what typically makes a virtual event. Like people want Slack and LinkedIn community groups. They want to do those monthly virtual roundtable, Sherry, like you were talking about earlier. I mean, those were, those really rose to the top for us. So I think continuing, not just enabling those transparent conversations, but continuing them beyond the event is going to be really crucial for us, I think, strategically as events provider, as a publication. But 
I do want to go back to your point, Claudia, earlier that you noted around everyone kind of going through the same thing, right? It ties back to that point of empathy. And I think the one thing that we really encouraged this year from a content perspective especially among the practitioners, the demand gen experts, the marketers who are in it every day. It's include information on what hasn't worked. Touch on the failures, the stumbles, things that you were really trying to figure out. But frankly, you didn't, right? Because I mean, <laughs> yeah. now especially everyone's in the same boat, Claude, like you were saying, everyone's trying to figure things out. So that connecting point of aha, like I was not the only one who struggled with this or, oh, like they struggled and they figured it out. Maybe that will work for me too. I think success stories are always fantastic. They're aspirational. It's like, oh, let me let me copy and paste that idea. Let me see if it works for me. But Even having that guidance of here's how we worked through the challenge and are still working through the challenge, even if it's not quite all figured out, I think that's going to be a new layer to our stories this year that I think is going to be really resonant with our audience. Absolutely. It's like no more success stories. I don't want to hear the word success. (laughs) I want to hear real world, like, damn it, this sucks stories, (laughs) you know? I did not brush my hair this morning and I have not been most days. So I don't want to hear about your success. Yeah. And actually leading into that, when we asked our audience, actually, first of all, what their top three benefits were. So we touched on content is still king. That was definitely one of the top reasons that they wanted to attend a virtual event. But also people are seeking the technology that they need. So more than half of our respondents chose that they are eager to learn about the latest technology and solutions. And then I think 87% answered that they prefer to learn about them through real world case studies. And that's the good and the bad, right? So exactly what you talked about when we work with our partners on presenting case studies, it's always a matter of tell us about what the challenge was. Tell us how you overcame that, you know, not just the positive and the results, but like what was really going on there. And I think now there's so many people who are seeking new technology to help them adapt to this new reality, right? So that's something even we've been doing, you know, obviously the new reality requires working in new ways. So people are seeking out the technology, but from a virtual events experience, we wanted to make sure that we are presenting it in the way that they want. So just because they want to evaluate new technologies, there's a really big difference between doing it in a live environment and doing it in a digital environment. And so we didn't want this to be avatars walking around entering virtual booths and Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that sort Mm -hmm. of thing, because I I feel like everyone's kind of tired of that. So it was just important to create a space virtually where we could invite people to hear really smart thought leadership content. And like you said, you know, just kind of humanizing some of these influencers as well and understanding that they're not alone in these challenges, where they could also network with one another and have these more intimate discussions about their challenges where they could also identify the technologies that might help them move forward in a new way, but in a way that is on their terms. So the digital space lends itself actually very nicely to all of those objectives. And it's just been a matter of us trying to piece together the how. Right. So digging deeper into that how, I mean, I know just based on the conversations I've had with attendees in the past, the one thing that people really love about our events is that emphasis on one-to-one connections, whether it's through our mentorship program or through our 
B2B and expert bar, which is always great because we're able to get as nitty gritty and like in the weeds of specific topics as the participant wants to. We're able to marry experts to those needs. So what have been your challenges in trying to translate the essence of what makes the in-person event so great? What has been the challenging about translating that over to the digital realm, or even just sharing how you're kind of dissecting that and reapproaching it for digital? Yeah, I think the challenge has initially been sort of not realizing what to do, right? In the beginning, when we realized that these events weren't going to be live, there's a lot of hands in the mix, you know? So I think initially, everyone's initial reaction was just to try to move this over into a digital environment. And part of my role was to say, hey, let's stop and think about this and realize that none of it is the same, really, right? And embracing the differences. So instead of, I think they're in the rush to translate a lot of live events into virtual spaces, there's been something of, uh, I don't want to say settling, but it's, it seems almost like, okay, well, we're settling for this digital experience and I guess we can do this this way. And the thought was we don't need to necessarily settle. We can embrace the strength and the benefits that exist only in a digital environment. So if you're looking at a live experience, there's a lot of face-to-face communication, but there's also a lot of discovery in that process because you kind of are going in cold with every conversation versus a digital environment where we have an opportunity to really engage with someone based on what we're observing in their digital footprints, so to speak, right? So we're able to kind of see where they're interested, what content they're consuming, and then approach them in a much more intelligent way. We're able to, instead of unleashing someone out into a marketplace with just a sea of different booths, and they maybe aren't sure where they need to prioritize, we're able to present them curated lists of technologies, or solutions that they might want to examine based on their role or based on their challenges or based on their interests. So the digital space, embracing it, gives us a way to really maximize the opportunities that are there. And in terms of some of those one-to-one experiences that people have come to love so much about our live events, the only challenge in that was really just a technology and logistics sort of challenge. Like, how are we going to facilitate Is it going to be using Zoom rooms and breakout rooms? And how are we going to manage and moderate all of this? But in the end, we realized that we actually could expand that program a bit more in the live environment when we hosted our mentor meetings. For example, we have our B2B mentor program, which is a huge hit at the B2B Marketing Exchange and the B2B Sales and Marketing Exchange. And it's really quite a great program. We match up heads of sales and marketing with up and coming sales and marketing professionals for these 15 minute meetings where they have an opportunity to ask whatever questions they want about career development to a mentor who's totally outside of their organization. Really wonderful experience for so many people. So we didn't want to lose that. We knew that we wanted to keep that. And in a digital space, we realized that, wow, we can have even more of these meetings were not physically limited in the room of how many people we can get in and out to have these meetings at a time. So we can really open up all the mentors to more potential meetings. And we can also make this something that can continue online virtually for a long time. It doesn't necessarily need to be just at the event. So our expert program, we were also able 
our B2B SM expert program is a similar type of meeting setup, but this is an opportunity for people to connect with experts in a particular field and really dig deep into that challenge or that area of expertise. And same thing there, we were able to facilitate even more of those in a digital environment and just connect people through web conferencing to carry those conversations on. Yeah, that's great. And personally, I think our mentors and our B2B MX or SM experts sessions are just so valuable, especially in this day and age on Zoom. But can we talk a little bit about the long-term impacts of these trends and what we can really expect beyond just the virtual experience after all is said and done and all three days are over and the content is done? What's the long-term impact here of having these types of one-on-one conversations and networking opportunities and things like that virtually? I honestly think they're going to be here to stay, right? So I know that there's been a lot of talk about, are the virtual events just hot right now? Is this a fad? And I do think that they might shift, right? There definitely will be some changes, but I do think that the virtual networking has really enabled people to connect much more easily in some cases because you know you remove the obstacle of geography you remove the obstacle of a set time you know within a live event you really can kind of think outside the box in, in terms of how and when to connect but i think virtual events in general so many organizations now you know as i said we've seen the value of virtual events for a long time because we've been producing them But some organizations are just diving into this area for the first time out of necessity. And I think it was something that was on the precipice of happening anyway, right? So people were really there. And in our case, or in the case of 2020, they just kind of got nudged over the edge and had to initiate those virtual events. And now once they have, I think the benefits of layering that in to your content strategy is so clear that there's an opportunity, even if you do go on to continue to produce live events, I don't think the virtual events are going to entirely disappear. Uh, I also think that the path back to actual live events as we once knew them is going to be long and bumpy. So I don't think we're going to see a return to a thousand plus attendee events for some time now. And so I think we'll start to see a lot of hybrid events where if a live event happens and it can only host 250 people, how do you then translate all of that hard work and that content and those experiences over to your broader audience? And so I think we'll see a lot of hybrid events that layer in both an in-person and a virtual environment. Yeah. And I also think that having this type of learning curve during this entire time with everybody either transitioning into virtual events or starting them from scratch, it kind of adds some more fuel for everybody's resume, right? Because people had to take on things that they normally wouldn't have initially taken on as part of their role, but now they have a little more experience. And even when events do come back, I definitely agree, Sherry. I think there will be that hybrid model. And I've been hearing a lot of different practitioners and experts in the field and, you know, in B2B marketing in general, talk about this hybrid event kind of experience. And it's really going to be interesting to see, but I'm excited personally, because from what I was able to watch during all of this 
COVID era marketing, everybody's so creative and marketing people and salespeople are so agile and everything was just so inspiring that like people learned and and they got really creative and were able to bounce back from it. So I'm excited to see how this hybrid event model is, is going to look, but I have full confidence in the B2B business world that they're going to be kind of awesome. Yeah, just to echo it, what I think both of you have already said a lot more eloquently than I probably could, I think we're going to see a reimagination of content strategy that both in-person and virtual events are going to be more deeply embedded into content, and we're going to discover new ways to reuse and repurpose event sessions, these conversations, and, and be able to amplify them to completely new audiences beyond our typical quote-unquote demographics of a particular event. I think, Sherry, you brought up a really great point around this notion of democratizing events, right? Because, you know, previously only a select you know number of people could fit into the venue or people couldn't get the budget approval to travel to the event or it was at a resort that was outside of the budget. And like, there are always these barriers to entry, right, that stopped people from being able to experience, in our case, B2B MX or B2B SMX. So I think, you know, these new models really break down the barriers of that. And and if anything, it will cultivate that community that we're so passionate about. And I'm hoping, I'm already seeing glimpses of it, you know, across digital channels that it's creating a similar effect for everyone else in this space. So it's a very exciting time indeed. I feel like this is something that we could talk about on and on all day, but we're we're really at the top of our time together. Sherry, thank you so much again for taking the time out to chat with us. I I thought leading up to this event, even though we all are crazed and have so much going on, it was important for us to kind of reset, have this conversation, if not for us, right? It was kind of nice to reflect on how far we've come in such a short time. But also show to everyone else listening right now that they're not alone if they're feeling overwhelmed by all these changes that we're all kind of in this together. So actually, thank you both so much for taking the time out. It has been a great conversation. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, great to to get to hash some of this out. And like you said, we're really in the thick of it now. So anyone out there listening, you are definitely not alone. We feel your pain. (laughs) And yeah, it's an exciting journey to be on for sure. Yeah, agreed. I love chatting with you guys outside of Slack, which is always nice. But at the end of the day, guys, seriously, taking on a virtual event is hard and we admit it and we've been struggling. And listen, there there have been tears. There have been a lot of glasses of wine chugged. And but at the end of the day, like it's going to get done. It's going to be great. And just know that, yeah, again, you're not alone. So I'm not sugarcoating anything for you no, right now. You've got the wrong people if you're looking for sugar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but with that, if you want to see everything that we've been up to um, from an event standpoint, if you want to experience B2B SMX for yourself, we'll include those details in the show notes. So you can check it out, b2bsalesmarketing.exchange. We have a lot of content on our agenda, a lot of great conversations lined up. So we hope you'll join us. And along the way, if you have any ideas, comments, feedback, so we can continue to improve and really contribute to the community, feel free to drop us a line. Thanks again, everyone. And uh, we'll uh, see you next time. Take care. <laughs>